Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. First half of the message is a review what Pastor Sherwood had shared with you on Mother's Day and the week after. He gave me a topic he taught on already, and so the same scriptures I had, he had, and so I want to review a couple things with you, and then we'll jump in eventually to the uh, book of Philippians. But a little background for me, uh, I'm been serving in ministry. Well, I, I work with trauma. I'm a trauma specialist, pastor at the Rock Church. I was a pastor for 35 years at Horizon. And then, in fact, I was a children's director, children's and youth pastor for 18 years, and then got demoted to work with adults. Uh, <laughs> adults only have half a life left. So then I worked with adults and went in and some of the ministry I do is out in the community with trauma. I work with first responders, military, helping them work through uh, some of the dynamics of what they've been through. You know, I grew up in Hermosa Beach. My uh, dad was a police officer, went through the ranks, became a chief of police. And then uh, I came to San Diego State, got married there. And my wife and I actually couldn't have kids. We both wanted family. We you know, we're desirous of kids and uh, just whatever reason we weren't having children went in and my wife, uh, they put her on some medication to help her cycle normalize and everything. And then we got pregnant and had a miscarriage, got pregnant again and had a tubal on one side. They removed the fallopian tube, got pregnant again, had another miscarriage, pregnant again, another tubal on the other side that passed through. And our our uh, doctor said, you're probably not going to have kids. You may want to look into adoption. And we were open to that. And then 38 years ago, she got pregnant, and we had a little girl. And then two years after that, she got pregnant, and we had twins, a boy and a girl. <laughs> two years after that, she got pregnant, and we had another girl. We had four children, four and under. I took her back to the doctor and said, could you make her the way she was, you know, or, Quiver was quivering, and you know, we uh, just, I became, that's when I became an expert in stress management. Uh, it's just all the different dynamics. I, you know, grew up, my mom uh, was mostly sick when I grew up. Uh, my memory of my mom is mostly her in and out of the hospital. When she was eight, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, and then uh, eventually it went into her lungs. She wasn't a smoker, she died when I was 12. And then my big sister took over the parenting role at that point, and she was five years older, best of friends. And then she was killed in a car accident three years after my mom died. And, you know, as a young adolescent trying to figure out life and the ups and downs and all of that, you, you know, when hardship hits us, we either get bitter or better. And for me, I, it put me on a search. I, I just wanted to help people in their pain. I struggled with just trying to understand this world. And when I uh, went to college, San Diego State, at one point, I thought, there's got to be more to life uh, than just what I see. So 
I didn't know much, but I started in the Gospel of Matthew. And I, I got a Bible and just started reading. And I came to faith by reading the scriptures. And it started to transform my life, little by little, day by day, on a journey. And then he put me on a quest to go to quest. Uh, he put me on a quest to bring hope and healing to people's pain and brokenness. And so today we're going to kind of explore the brokenness that comes to us through this fallen world. And yet what God can do to restore, renew, and make us into something significant for the purposes that would bring him glory. There was a, a missionary, a Gideon's missionary, went down South America, went into the, the areas where they're growing uh, a lot of the drug uh, the marijuana and cocaine and everything and and he got in there with some of the kind of the warlords and he started witnessing to them and you know they accommodated okay yeah we know and finally he, he as Gideons they give out Bibles and one of the head guys he, he just said would you would you just read the Bible God will transform your life and he said you know <laughs> I got to be honest with you, these paper and these thin Bibles, if you give me this Bible, I'm just going to tear out a page and roll it into a joint and smoke it. And the missionary told him, he said, would you, would you promise me this? I'm going to give you a Bible. Just promise before you tear out a page, you would read it before you smoke it. And he said, okay, that's a fair deal. And so he passed out Bibles, and that was his commitment and everything, left. A number of years later, came back to the same area, and a church had birthed out in that community, and uh, the whole community was starting to change. And he, he, he ran into this leader he had given a Bible to, and he was now the pastor of the church. And he said, what happened? He said, you gave me that Bible. I smoked through Matthew, I smoked through Mark, and then John smoked me. And he came to faith through reading scripture. You know, let me encourage you, when you get together to increase in the, the knowledge of God, it's more than information, as Pastor Sherwood told you. It's transformation. And I wanna encourage you, as you hear the Lord, I, I love this, you have a little booklet that we don't just become hearers of God's word. He wants us to be doers of God's word. And part of that is remembering what you hear. So I encourage you, take out a pen. I'm gonna put some information on the screens, scriptures, and just take notes along. Whenever the word of God opens, take notes. Write in your Bible. Um, memorize the word of God. It will transform your life. So go with me to... Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the great what? The great commission. And today I want to teach, we back up one slide, on community that's based on communitas that leads to communion. And I want to explain communitas is not the Spanish Form of community. 
Uh, it's a, a unique word that really is at the heart of this great commission. So here in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, read it together with me. When they saw him, now I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Why the New King James? That's the Bible I have. And so I'm going to read out of that. Uh, uh, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. So he says to the disciples before he ascends up to heaven, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Um, the week after Mother's Day, this was the text your pastor taught. Uh, and he did a very thorough job. But our community must start with the Great Commission and what we've been called to be and what we've been called to do. Now, my, my, I have four kids now, and I have five grandchildren. Now, I've been doing ministry for quite a long time, my trauma ministry. I respond to different disasters and crises in the community. In fact, my first response, you've probably heard of it, it's very historical, uh, was at the I was called to respond at the Ford Theater when Abraham Lincoln was shot. I was there helping out with the family. It didn't go well. That was a tough one, but I've been around quite a long time in ministry for almost 50 years. Next year will be my year of jubilee. And, and I realized, gosh, 50 years. I'm in my midlife crisis now, halfway. Life halfway. And, and so <clears throat> the, uh, he, he gives this command, he says, all authority I'm giving to you, go make disciples. I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. So my family, every year we, we like to try to, well, we love getting together. My kids are all local, uh, not loco, L-O-C-O, but local, L-O-C-A-L. They, we, we just love being together and doing things together. And, and so we try to get a vacation all together if at all possible, whether locally or someplace away, going to Catalina, things like that. Well, this, this, uh, it was about a couple of years ago, we had an opportunity. We went out of town. We're all together. And generally, some of the nights, I'll do a family devotion. It's kind of our tradition. And so I had a scripture I wanted to share. But I asked this question. Uh, to all of my, uh, my kids, my wife, I said, if you could summarize the Bible in one word, just one word, besides Jesus, because this is an entire book about who God is and it's revealed in, in Jesus. Besides Jesus, what would be the one word to you that you would summarize God's word? What would it be? Go ahead. To someone sitting next to you, what would be your word? Go ahead. What's your word? Turn. What's the word? Love it. I heard truth. I heard love. 
grace. My, we went around, we were all sitting in a circle, went around and each of them shared love, grace, forgiveness, all these beautiful words that describe the scriptures to us. And then it got to me and I said, to me, it's the word with. And my wife, very godly wife, turns to me, with? A preposition? With? And kind of got a chuckle out of this. And I said, well, well, yeah, the promise of Christ, his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. All through scripture, God promises to be with us. The covenant of God, I will be your God. You will be my people. He will be with us. We will be one with him. Um, I like the acronym, with, because when we, we figure out, why is this happening to me? We have a slide that summarizes, with. When we're in a place where we're going, why is this happening? We need to be with God and know that God is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. You know, sometimes I have questions, God, why? Why is this circumstance? Why is this? Why is that? And I found in my journey with Jesus, he never gives me explanations. He doesn't answer my why question. But he does give us his promises. And one of his central promises is relationship with us. Well, that night, we, after the devotion, we'd pick a movie to watch. Uh, and so we put it on the television and, uh, and where we were staying. And we watched this movie called Night and Day with Tom Cruise, Cameron Diaz. He's some super spy. But the whole movie, you don't know if he's good or bad. And Cameron's kind of along for the ride and she's kind of confused and is not sure he's good and she's questioning. And there's this little short scene. I'm going to play it for you. As our family was sitting around watching this movie, then this scene comes in the middle of the movie. Go ahead. Your life expectancy is like here. With me, it's here. Without me, here. With me, without me. With me, without me. My family was there. I stood in front of the TV and said, look, Tom Cruise even said, it's with me. That's what God has. Without us, not good, not good. With us, good. You know, in Mark chapter three, take note of this, verse 14, Jesus, it says, Jesus called his disciples, 12 disciples, and it says this. He called the 12 to be with him. With him and to send them to go proclaim the good news that God loves us. He called us to be with him so we could be sent for him to represent him to the world. Go with me to um, the book of Acts chapter four, or chapter two. This is... Uh, <clears throat> This was your Mother's Day message by Pastor Sherwood. You know, as a, as a first responder uh, working out in the community, I, I get calls to help in situations. And there was a, there was a uh, two, two public buses 
that had collided run into each other. Mass casualty accident, uh, high level. Uh, and so you have all these emergency vehicles responding to all these injured, injured individuals down in uh, Logan Heights area. I was not too far away. I put on my brush jacket, my fire department jacket. And so I head down there to see if there's anybody in the community I can help. And as I arrive, I, you know, it's massive scene. You have all these injuries, all these ambulances. And I, it's just overwhelming. But what I do is I, I look for one and I do for one that I wish I could do for all. And my first person I came up to was this dear woman, Hispanic woman, didn't speak English, and her three-year-old was there just wailing, crying as they put this dear mom onto a gurney. She's on a, a board, and then they're sta stabilizing her neck with a neck collar, and there's her, her little guy just crying, weeping, and just wailing for his mom in fear, and she's injured. And, and so I just go up and I, I kneel down next to this little guy, put my arm around this little guy, and his mama was saying, gracias, gracias, gracias. I put my arm around him, complete stranger, and he turns his head into my jacket and just lets me hug him as he hugs me, and then he wipes his snotty nose all over me. And his wailing eventually went to, <laughs> and he, he got to this place of calm, and he just held me. Why is this happening? He needed someone to just be with him. God in our circumstances of life, he wants us so much to embrace, to cling to him through our hardships, our sorrows. In fact, the, the, uh, the book Habakkuk in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, a prophet, he was proclaiming judgment, crying out to God that God would bring justice to the land and yet God was going to send the Chaldeans, a wicked nation, to judge the wickedness of Judah. And he's crying out, Lord, why would you do this? Makes no sense. But Habakkuk's name means to embrace, to cling to. That's what his name meant. And then God spoke to him and said, judgment's coming. If I told you what I'm going to do, you wouldn't believe it. But he says, the just shall live by his faith. It's by faith that we're saved. It's by faith that we grow by God's grace. Well, here in the, the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 40, let me read these to you. And this will get kind of launch us into our text uh, in Philippians. It says, uh, Peter's preaching, he's filled with the Spirit, Acts chapter 2 there, verse 40, says, and with many words he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this uh, perverse generation. Then uh, those who, were, who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Remember, when the law came, 3,000 died. When the Spirit came in the New Testament, 3,000 are saved. 
And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods, divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord, unified in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all, uh, with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The church was birthed, and all of a sudden, the people experienced this community, this oneness. They were unified. They broke bread together. They partook of communion together. They went from house to house. They had this intimate relationship with each other, and then it it went out into the community. And so we have this word fellowship. In fact, it comes from the Greek word koinonia. And it's so important that we experience community. In fact, studies show us that when people are isolated, they don't connect with others. They isolate, which is very common for people to do in their pain. They withdraw from others. They isolate from one another. It correlates with anxiety, depression, suicide, and even mass murder, where people get so separated and they get lost in their pain and anguish. And yet the church was to come together to be family. I love the acronym. I'll put it on the screen here if you're taking notes. Family, we're family. Forget about me. I love you. Okay, let me explain this concept of community. This is a community here, but it's not a biblical community until something happens. You see, the word koinonia, which we would say is fellowship, it's community, actually is much deeper than this. In fact, the word means participation, sharing, willing contribution, generosity, altruism, close mutual relationship, partnership, family. Forget about me. I love you. Well, here's the crux. Here's the shift. You see, in the world... We get together because of what we get from others. We like to join groups that we get something from. We get together to, you know, I, I want my needs met. Not so in the Christian community. When we come together, we come together to actually share with others. Sociologists have identified this word from anthropological studies. It's referred to as communitas. Communitas means that the purpose of the group 
their purpose exceeds their benefit on what they get out of the group. I've actually heard people say as they leave church, I didn't get much from the message today. Oh, the worship, I didn't get much in the worship today. I tried to find a small group to go to. I went to one, but I, I didn't get anything out of it. It's because the world's mindset has to do with I go to get a consumer mentality. People go to church to get something, missing the entire purpose of why we gather. God calls us to come together to die to ourselves that we serve others. You know why, in fact, this past week we were with our grand, two of our oldest grandchildren and we went to a dinner and at dinner I, behind them was sitting an older couple at a table facing each other and I kept noticing, kept looking at them. They both had wedding rings, been probably married for some time. They were older, uh, older than myself, which is ancient. I mean classic. But the whole time they were sitting together, they never talked. They ate their food. They talked to the waiter. They ordered more. Um, they ordered a dessert. And I kept trying to look over to see if they would talk. And they just sat there with each other and never spoke. Now, maybe they've been married so long that they don't need to talk anymore. But I was like, it, it's missing. It's missing this communion, this sharing, this giving a mutual experience as we gather together. I, I, I served at 9-11 for the first two weeks. As a result, I've had some bouts with cancer. I got vitiligo where I lose my pigment on my skin, uh, my my, one of my grandchildren once, when they were little, they jumped up on the bed. We were babysitting, and I was barefoot. And she looked at my feet and said, Papa, that's what she calls me, Papa, you have camouflage feet. I go, yeah, I do. And then she said, if you hide in the bushes, they can't see you. So, hey, I can hide in bushes. You can't see me if I'm barefoot. I have camouflage body, um, just camouflage and all these dynamics. But at 9-11, here was my experience. We served at Ground Zero. We served at the medical examiner. And then we served at the Family Assistance Center. I was on call as a responder for commercial airline crashes. And my month to be on call happened to be September. When 2000 came, nothing happened. 2001, oh my goodness, uh, we were sent there. And we were together, there were eight chaplains that were to coordinate in all these areas. I, at, at Ground Zero, the chief that oversaw Ground Zero, he, we went up, we had to check in, and he looks at me, he goes, Fada, Fada? Father, uh, and, and FDNY, he goes, Fada. You need to know as a chaplain, we're all Catholic. Even if we're Buddhist, we're still Catholic too. That was part of their culture. And so we would give the sign of the cross when we would pray and we would be very respectful of where their faith was. But it was so beautiful. I was with this team for two weeks. We had different denominations, different backgrounds. We had a rabbi. We had an imam. 
um, we had very conservative and then, uh, you know, uh, different, just different denominations serving side by side. You would think these differences would cause division, maybe even conflict, debating over theology and doctrine. But at the end of two weeks, as a group, we were so close. Our love for one another grew because our mission our mission was bigger than what we would get from each other. Now, our last night, we went out to dinner, and then we all debated theology, all those things, had a great time arguing with each other in love. I mean, we had our differences, but our purpose, our purpose of gathering exceeds why you gather. Let me encourage you as a church, as a community. Maybe you're new here. Maybe you've been here for years. Let me encourage you, before you come on Sunday, before you go to any church event or even a small group, that you pray and say, Lord, who can I serve today? Lord, what would you have me do for others? You know, marriage doesn't work. It won't work. If you enter into marriage, what you will get from the other person. I, it's not fair. We, we relate to one another out of social equity. It's like, okay, I'll do for you if you do for me. If you didn't do this, then I'm not doing this. And we, we barter. And eventually, after a number of years being married to each other and the conflicts, you start avoiding conflict, avoiding everything, and eventually you just stop talking. The relationship dies and you exist together. Oh, God has so much more. When you enter into a covenant marriage and you put your needs aside for the sake of the other, I serve my spouse. I, I yield my needs aside to forget about me. I love you. When you start to have this mentality, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live Yet not high, it's Christ in me. You'll experience this amazing communion, the intimacy that God desires for all of us. Let me just share with you. Studies say this uh, numerous studies, because I, I train firefighters on self care. When you serve others, studies show that it grows resilience you'll be more resilient of the hardships that come at you. When you serve others, you actually, it grows your joy. You're happy. Altruism grows joy in our lives. When you serve others, there's health benefits. You live a healthier lifestyle. Another study says, when you serve others, it, it increases an appreciation for life. And lastly, you know, by coming to church today, you're going to live longer. Why? Studies show that people that put their needs aside to serve others actually live longer than people that live for themselves. A lot of times we have this mentality, it's about me, my needs, and I, I didn't get anything out of it today. Well, it's because you didn't give to people. It's not about me. 
It's about Jesus Christ being exalted in each other's lives. Now, wow, all of this was just introduction review. For the next two hours now, we're going to get into the book of Philippians. Turn with me to Philippians, and I'll close with this. You know, Pastor Sherwood, he talked about the great commission and the great commandment to love one another. Let me add one more. The great compassion. We're called to fulfill the great commission by the great commandment through great compassion. And let me give you some background in Philippians here. Um, there's Paul, when he's writing to the churches, the epistles we call them, letters uh, to the church, when he would write to the church, he would introduce himself, establishing his authority. He would say, Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. He says that to Timothy he says that to Titus, to the church of Ephesus, and 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. But here in Philippians and in Romans, he introduces himself, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Bondservant? Well, you see, Philippi was a Roman colony. They, they had no synagogue there. That's why you see Paul ministering and out in the public arena rather, in the, rather than in the synagogue. As a Roman colony, it was very, um, well, they had different classes of people. Let me put on the screen, you have these concepts. Uh, the, the next slide has a, kind of the different levels or different part of strata in Roman culture. You see, you had the imperial domas, which was the very wealthy, living in mansions on the hill, looking down on the city. Then you had the senator's class that would wear a gold ring. James makes reference to the person coming in your midst wearing gold, and you esteem them, say, sit here. Um, and so the Roman culture had infiltrated some of the church existence because that's the culture they lived in. Then you had the equestrian class. These were performers, uh, entertainers, uh, doing things on horseback, but they also were on the upper class. Then below that was the lower class. There was what was called commons. That was the average citizen. And then below them were freed slaves, freed people that were once doulos, bond slaves that in their service they were free. At the very bottom of the social strata was the doulos, the bond servants. Now think of this in this culture. You have this strata and Paul in this culture, Roman culture, he introduces himself as the lowest of the low, lowly, following Christ's example. Now, we, we know we're to be servants in Christ, but the, the concept was so degrading, that, that so low in human society, Paul introduces himself as a servant, and even more so, this is how he, he explains who Jesus is. You see, the church of Philippi was having conflict. 
In fact, in chapter 4, you have Sinchki and Yodia having conflict with one another. And so the church was experiencing division in the different classes of people, and they were separate from one another. And so Paul comes to write to this church how to come together here in in chapter 2. Look with me. Verse 1, he says, Therefore, if there's any consolation or encouragement in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any koinonia, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, he said, fulfill my joy by having, uh, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. What was this one mind? How to be experiencing this unity in the spirit, this koinonia in the spirit, he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. It's a bondservant. Jesus came as a servant. He subjected himself in humanity as a servant. Now, let me just conclude with a concept of how humans relate to one another in our brokenness. You see, within human nature, there's two essentials for us to grow with a healthy mindset in life, to be emotionally stable. When we're growing up at home, we need love and safety. Love and trust. Well, when we don't have love, we grow up in a home where there's been abandonment. We grow up in a home pushed aside. Uh, the studies have found that people lacking love throughout their childhood grow up and they cycle to either rage, anger, or, as you see on the screen, shame. Now think of this. It's like, Anger, I deserve more. I deserve to be loved. You know, narcissism, you know, the, the mental uh, description of people, very self-centered, correlates real strongly with childhood trauma. They grow up in this mindset, I deserve more, I am right, and they fight, you know, just the rage. And the, the other cycle is shame. I guess I didn't deserve to be loved and always putting themselves down. And, and then often in that same upbringing where there's no trust, no safety, people cycle between control. And this is where narcissism is really strong. You know, a narcissist, if you put the 10 qualities of what a narcissist is that identify psychologically a narcissist, if you show it to a narcissist, They'll look at those 10 qualities and they'll say, I know someone like that. 
Because they can't self-reflect. They self-protect. They become very controlling or the other side is chaos. Doesn't matter what I do, nothing matters. And here's what happens. When we go through our hardship, we, we end up self-protecting. We, we guard from each other. In fact, in Roman, I mean, Greek culture, they had a word for this. It was called akrasia. It's a Greek word. Uh, put it up on the screen. Akrasia. Have you ever heard Einstein says, uh, insanity is what? Doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. Well, Plato wrote about this, but he put it like this. People keep doing the same things that hurt themselves and then keep doing it. And it was the term akrasia. It's not where we get the word crazy, but it's crazy that people do this. You see, when people have just the brokenness and they self-protect, and guard self and live for self, they end up hurting themselves. The most powerful thing we do as a church when we give to others, when we put ourselves aside for the sake of others, we become more like Jesus. We become the reflection of Jesus to a dying world, the more vulnerable more open. Let me encourage you. Cling to Jesus. Let me tell you a real quick story. My two oldest grandchildren, they were at my house. We were, you know, babysit teenagers, but they were at our house overnight. Their parents were out of town, and we were, it was a wet, cold evening and rainy, and they said, Papa, can we go in the jacuzzi? We have an in-ground little jacuzzi there. And so we said, sure, heat it up. They get on their bathing suits. We're going out into the rain, and there's an umbrella by the jacuzzi. And I, I said to them, wait, 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 come here. I'm always looking for teachable moments. I said, come under the umbrella. They go, Papa, it's cold. I said, here, hold the pole. Stay close to the middle. Cling to the pole. And then the rain's coming down the wind. Our, our feet are still cold and getting wet from the rain. But I said, you know, when we stay close to God, with him, he protects us from the storms of life, doesn't he? Uh, he wants us to be close to him. And then I did this. I said, stay here. And they're grabbing the pole going, Papa, can we go in the jacuzzi yet? I go, one minute, one minute. I walk out from under the, the protection of the umbrella. And I said, people that walk away from God and the storms of life hit them. Crazia. And they look up and shake their fist at God, saying, God, why is this happening? They've chosen to live according to their rules, their life, their course. Their relationships are filled with conflict. They're living for themselves. All of us are narcissists at some point where we live for ourselves. And when life goes the way we've lived and the consequences happen, people get mad at God. And I said to my grandchildren, what do I need to do? They go, Baba, come back under the umbrella. And I said, so stay close to God because he wants to be close with you. 
And we jumped in the jacuzzi and had a good night and everything. Well, about six months later, I get a text from my granddaughter, Kennedy. She goes, Papa, in literature class, we had to write shape poems. I go, shape poems? What's a shape poem? Well, she texted this poem to me, if you could put the umbrella up there. In her class, six months later, she submitted our shelter from the raging storm above, pouring down on us, but simply not even realizing how it has merely scratched the surface. Our God is like an umbrella from the storms of life, protecting us from the attacks of the devil. Holding tightly to the pole is like staying close to God. When we step out from under his protection, people blame him for getting wet, even when all they really need is to step back under. Let me encourage you to be Habakkuk today. Cling to Jesus. And as you cling to him, his nature becomes your nature. And you start to serve other people. It's not about what I get, but what he does through me for others. And you will experience community, communitas, and communion. But I'm going to challenge you. These aren't just thoughts and words. Where are you on the spectrum? I was teaching a group of firefighters, and a gentleman came to me. He goes, I'm on the spectrum. He's referring to a, an aspect of his you know, deprivation growing up, and he's doing amazing. Where are you on the spectrum of Christ-likeness? Are you here for what you get? Are you in a group for what you get? Or do you see your life being poured out to others? When you cling to Jesus, your life will reflect Jesus to all around you and how you live out his love. And community grows from communitas, which becomes this intimate communion with him and with each other. Would you stand as the worship team comes up? I apologize for going five minutes long. <laughs> Lord, I thank you for the communion that we can have with each other because of the communion we have with you. As we go our ways, I pray we would really yield our life to you as we sing, I surrender. I surrender all and that we would live out your love to each other and where we live, where we play, that our lives would, would be of service to others because it's there that we experience unity. Differences don't matter when we're on mission together. So let us live out the great commission, the great commandment with great compassion in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. 
If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.